everybody and welcome back to the Problem with Authority podcast. I'm your host Kirsten Kelly and today I have a special guest Catherine. Welcome Catherine. I'm so happy to have you and she is going to be talking to us all about burnout and self-care and just the structure of work and social work and how we can change things and move forward. So I want Catherine to introduce herself Tell us a little bit about her background because she has some awesome things going on. She's another social worker on Instagram. She has a podcast. So let us all know about that and then we'll jump into it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, So yes, I have the Social Workers Rise podcast that I have been hosting since January 2020. And my background is in medical social work. So I worked for four years in hospice, did a year and a half in palliative care, and I'm about to start um, doing hospital social work. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I just love everything medical social work, everything, everything involving like elderly, I'm there for it. And also anything involving stress reduction, being calm, having fun, self-care. I'm all about it. <laughs> yes, I know you got on and you were like, hey, we're in San Diego, quick trip. And that's amazing. I love that. I love that. Yes, yes. I'm a firm, be- I found that you have to schedule in fun that like a really big red flag is if you don't have anything that you do for fun, that you just work and all you do is social work because you love it so much, um, that's not going to not going to last you very long. You have to have fun. You have to have hobbies. You have to have other things that you do outside of your work. I agree. And even with the podcast, with podcasting and social media too, I'm now moving that into the category of work because it's a lot of work and I can't view that as my hobby because I'm not, you know, mindlessly relaxing, you know, sipping on a drink or eating food, hanging out with friends. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. So definitely moving that to the category of work, which I think would be helpful for some people too, especially when their hobbies really just starts to take over. Yep, for sure. Podcasts is work. Um, Self-care and listening to podcasts that get you all riled up is not (laughs) self-care. Like it needs to be something completely separate from work. It's great if you look at, listen to podcasts in your industries or Like um, a lot of times we'll listen to like psychological thrillers where they're talking about the psychology of, of serial killers. Like (laughs) it's interesting, but that's probably not going to relax your mind Mm -mm. and help you like unwind from all of the trauma and the stories and the pain that you held at work. And then you come home and you listen to something more traumatic, could be traumatic too, on your way home. So just be cognizant of that too. I agree. And like scheduling in like, cause the books that we have to read too, I know a lot of in social work, it's that continuing education, which tends to happen after you've worked for nine hours or 12 hours a day. So making sure that you can squeeze in time for that during the day instead of on the weekend or at night, because sometimes I will be sitting there and I'm like, wow, I've read a lot of terrible things today. I've talked to people about a lot of traumatic things. It's it's time for a break. It's true. And I will fully confess, I took the book, I read like a chapter and I'm like, oh my gosh, my brain. (laughs) I started it yesterday. And I was like, cause I'm also like finishing Harry Potter. So I was like, oh, I can do a fun book 
and a not so fun book and I opened it and I got through like three pages and I was like oh so this is not gonna be a quick read it it's a lot it's it's a lot and I wasn't expecting the topics that were discussed in it I thought it was gonna be more of a a storytelling type social work book but no it's it's pretty uh academic and and intense <laughs> yeah and honestly when I was reading that first it must have been the first chapter or so I was thinking for a book about being about trauma and about being sensitive to trauma this book is very triggering and could be traumatizing because it goes into a lot of detail about stories that people have had and experiences and I was like this is not a good book to bring on vacation <laughs> no 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 we have to separate the social work books from the fun books because uh uh-uh. and your brain can just keep going and going and going and you're just constantly worrying and thinking about all the terrible things that people go through and and what's going on and I think that you know speaking of like thinking of other people and all the terrible things going on part of our self-care too needs to be detaching from that for a minute like turn off the news you don't need to read every single terrible story that's happened because no matter what there's always terrible stories that are happening there's always traumatic events and like is when I I think about it like I care but at the end of the day like is that going to help me do what I need to do for myself and for my family and for my clients probably not it's probably going to stress me out even more Mm -hmm. so with all of the recent events going on I feel empathy for them but I I can't let myself get sucked into the story anymore because I just don't have, it's like part of my boundary. I just don't have the energy to give at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then a lot of the times too, when the events happen and then we see clients, the clients are processing. What is it? The body holds trauma or the 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 body of the book? There you go. (laughs) Yes. That book, like everyone, everyone raves about it and it's really good, but it's a really intense read. Like you have to be really focused and present. Like it is not an easy read. And I took it with me on the airplane. So it's almost like we can't, we can't, like, especially when you're engaging on social media, I feel like knowing what's going on is fine. But when it just becomes a thread, like threads and threads and threads of information and and new leads in the cases or or how a certain person was impacted it's it's a lot and I know social media can be a safe space for some people but I definitely agree like it there needs to be a break and I know with um, NASW New Jersey they do a lot of town halls which are really great surrounding these topics and I'm so thankful that they record them because they're at six like on Thursday and I'm like oh like after the whole week of like processing what went on in the news with my kids and then going at 6 p.m at night and listening to that it's it's a lot and a lot in other professions I mean nurses and medical like I feel like they understand but the majority of professions don't don't have to be in those spaces like we do 
Yeah, I, which I think is the beauty of social workers is that we run into those dark places that the rest of society runs away from and likes to avoid and pretend that they don't exist. So we hold space for people who are considered side, for children who have been abused, for, you know, for, for all of the pains of society that are there. Mm -hmm. And it's important to acknowledge that having these deep conversations with people, it's exhausting. Like for like people outside of our industry, just having a deep conversation with a friend for an hour can be exhausting, right? Like, oh, they just broke up with somebody and, and they cried for the hour and I'm so tired. That's a normal mm -hmm. response. We, we do that all day, every day. And it takes an emotional toll on us that we, I think too, like we take for granted mm -hmm. that energy that it takes to hold pain for someone else. I agree. I agree. But I'm not with, I'll just come home and I talk to three people that day and I'm like, wow, I can't imagine if I had to do like six groups today or like the rest of the day was just at home paperwork, which I'm super grateful for. So I always told myself, I was like, I don't think that I will be able to be a therapist for 40 hours a week. I don't think that that can be my sole role in a position because I do get, I, I get exhausted just from, you know, a few group sessions or, or something like that. I don't know how people do back-to-back -back sessions from 8 a.m. to like 7 p.m. And that's why we have such a high rate of burnout because it's not normal for us as humans to hold that much pain. And that's part of the conversations that need to change too, is what's a realistic, sustainable number of clients that we can see, which I'd like to see more studies being done on this. What is the, like, what is, how effective can a therapist be seeing three people versus seeing eight people in a day for a week straight, right? Like, what, how effective are we at eight people because I've done it and I can tell you by the last day, those last four clients, oh my gosh, I feel so, it's like, I'm not fully there. All of my energy, all of my brain power is not fully there with them and it's a disservice to them, but you're expected to do it as if you're a machine and you can perform at the same caliber that you can at 8 a.m. and at 4 p.m. And it's just not realistic. It's not sustainable, which I think is another way they try to like make you feel bad and blame you for not doing enough self-care because you can't keep up with, with the amount of energy it takes to hold space for that many, for that much pain of other people and not realistic. So, so when, when I, I remember thinking, I was like, maybe I'm not meant to be a, a social worker because I can't do this. And then I reframed him like, this is why the system is broken because people can't do this. Like, it's just not realistic. And it's the same thing for um, like, if we look at any other industry, right? If you have a machine, you are going to take that machine like and like give it all the love and care that it needs so that it performs at top performance. We don't do that for our employees, right? Mm. we don't do that for mental health professionals and I think that's another thing that needs to change too yeah I agree and I think for so long 
social workers or just mental health professionals in general, like into a woman dominated profession. So we're still making strides in, in believing that women should have equal pay, that they shouldn't be treated as just emotional support people that are supposed to, like you're saying, hold space for people at all hours of the day, that what we do is equally as important as an engineer that's working on a really important new new idea, a doctor that's working with somebody in surgery, like we all are moving parts in something that can be really good. And I think a lot of the time we're, our job is like, oh, you know, it's easy or people just really underestimate what we do. And really what the average person goes through on a day-to-day, -day, <laughs> a day-to-day -day basis before they even get to our office. Um, so just surrounding why or knowing why why it is we're in this position that we are in with the profession and what like you're saying research how effective are we actually if we're having too much working too much or seeing too many clients and also how did we get here are there some biases and stereotyping that's going on with why we believe that these people should just be able to do that and I know nurses they face a lot of the same things I know when I read about medical social work a lot of nurses and social workers have the the same the same kind of issues because it's just exhausting like my friend she works in the uh, trauma center at our local hospital and she came to me and was like do you know any any therapist or anything that can help me with process death and dying because that's what she sees when she's in the trauma center and I said they should have somebody for you and she's like I don't think so and it's like what like how how do people expect fellow humans to witness something like that and or even be a part of trying to save somebody and then they die and and just oh you have to work another shift and it's like it, it's really mind mind-blowing to me when you're when you're on the floor and you're seeing these things yeah and that's part of the need for having a trauma-informed system a trauma-informed workplace um, I know being in the medical field, I the social work department has been asked to support the nurses and the doctors and the chaplains, but you know, who is there to support the social workers? A lot of times it fell on my one director and like, bless her heart, she was amazing. But I mean, there was 10 of us and one of her. So I can't even imagine the amount of pressure that she felt because then there was no one for her, unless she paid, you know, for outside therapy or paid for outside consultation. Isn't that crazy that we have to pay for therapy? I find that a little wild. Um, I mean, therapy is not accessible at all, really, for anybody. But I think it's really interesting that we, like, we don't even get a discount or anything. Like, that's, I don't know, that's weird to me. It should be integrated in our work. Like the employers, again, should be offering that as a service. Kristen, maybe you and I should start. <laughs> I agree. I'm like, it just, it makes sense. And it would be so helpful. And also like when you're talking with people who run businesses, you have to speak in their language, right? So their language is productivity. Their language is how am I going to get the most out of these people for the less money, you know, which is terrible language and that needs to change. But it's like, if, Every, if we had a work environment that was sustainable and everybody loved coming to and you your needs were met, 
stuff would get done and the the quality of it would be a lot better and not always does that mean that we need to be pushing out you know everybody needs to have a 40 client caseload they need to be you know terminating 20 of those every this many months it could just mean that you know the clients are meeting like smaller goals than and because you know we run on insurance which is a whole issue in itself and why we have to do what we do but you know it could be better i think it could create a better environment for everybody not just the the employees yes definitely there is a lot of work to be done but having conversations like these definitely you know starts it brings up the awareness and um you know it all starts from here to make change i agree and when can you talk about because I, I listened to that the union podcast episode that you had could you tell us what you got from that learning from i can't remember their names but you can remind me uh here yeah so trisha and oh my gosh you're gonna kill me i forget the other girl's name but they are two social workers based out of chicago Chicago has a lot of stuff going on right now. Um, what they are doing is they have been involved in unions before they know people in unions, like they're very close to them. And they are strong advocates for social workers to be starting their own unions in their own areas, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. So right now, there are social workers who participate in unions, but a lot of time they're healthcare unions or their unions with the county. So they're not specifically for the needs of social workers. So they will help, they have a Facebook group, they will help provide guidance on if you want to start a union in your own area or city or whatever, then they can provide direction and resources to get that started. Um, my main takeaway from that episode is unions are super powerful. Um, there's pros and cons to them and it's not going to be for everybody, but it is for a lot of people, mm -hmm. um, and definitely help with advocating, using their power to get us better working conditions, to get us better pay and to, you know, legitimize the profession and to help us stand on our own that social work is its own profession, separate from nursing, separate from teaching, separate from all of these other areas that have their unions. Well, I think, I think that would be really interesting to look into because we never, I know a lot of people are critical of the NASW a lot of the time and there's never really a solution or, hey, like if they're not giving it to us, like what's another way that we can push how if if they don't hear our needs then then are there other smaller orgs that we can talk to that are local which I think is really cool and I know NASW just passed um I don't know if it's a bill about how our licensing can now be um valid in multiple states which I think is really awesome because I think some social workers that were in the working in the VA or they had uh partners that were in the military whatever they were getting licensed in one state and then they had to move out around all the times so and their license didn't mean anything and you can't managing all that first you have to pay for it and if you move around and then just doing putting all that work and then it just not meaning anything in another state that's that's terrible i know a lot of people i've talked about 
you know, licensure being more versatile would help us a lot because then we can work remotely with people that aren't in this state, which I think just opens, which is like an accessibility thing as well. You have more options of therapists that might fit your need better and not just people, not just people in your state, you know? Yeah, there's a lot of benefits to that, especially when you're looking at the East Coast where the states are so close together. Like if you are, if you're like, you know, you're licensed in your state, right? But if your client goes to work and they happen across state lines, you can't provide therapy if they're at work because of the client's location. Mm -hmm. So it causes a lot, a lot of issues. And, and about the NISW, you know, they're a very, very big, very well-established organization, but they are not created to be a union. They are created, designed to be member-led, meaning if you want to do something with the NASW, they will likely support you. They will help you, but it's membership-led, mm -hmm. meaning that the members have to you know, need to take the lead and do it. And so they're not set up to be a union. So there, there does have to be a separate organization. It's not going to be, my understanding is it's not ever going to be the NASW. Right, right. And nobody ever talks about that. They just yell at them. And then I'm like, well, <laughs> then who are we looking, who are, so, who are little social workers supposed to look to? Like, I know we have supervisors, but like as a whole, when we're talking about big change and macro change, and, you know, they tell us to advocate for others all the time, but we have the skills to advocate for ourselves. And it's like, where, where do we do that? So we don't have to feel these effects of, of burnout and expect from the second you leave the classroom, you know, what they tell you, you're not going to get paid, you're going to be overworked, all the terrible things that they say that need to stop being said. I can't believe professors even to this day still say those, those things, especially when they work at, they work at Florida State and they'll, they're on faculty, so they make like pretty good money. It's not, you know, so I just don't understand why that narrative is still pushed, but I think that social work is moving in a better direction. And I'm really, I'm really excited to be a part of that now and see where it is in like 10 or 20 years. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even in the past year since I started the Social Workers Rise podcast, my mission was to start changing the narrative to connect social workers and to just elevate our voices. And other people, mm -hmm. I'm seeing the shift. I'm changing, seeing the change in the narrative that like you said, we need to stop saying that we're going to be underpaid. We need to stop settling for being underpaid. Mm -hmm. We need to have those strong boundaries and value ourselves that we bring a really extraordinary skill set to a workplace. And to honor that, like we deserve to be paid. And we don't, like burnout should not be the standard that we should be taking care of ourselves. And I'm definitely seeing that conversation shift. So I'm really excited also like you to be part of this because I don't, maybe it'll take the universities and other people five to 10 years, but with the amount of power that social media has, I think it'll be done. You know, there'll be a, a tremendous amount of change just in the next, you know, two or three years. I agree. Cause so many social workers are getting on social media. They're making podcasts, they're having Facebook groups, they're making YouTube channels. And now I have, I have access to so many other social workers in different areas at different levels of experience, which is so cool because we're finding that 
in our conversations, we're seeing the same themes. And a lot of universities, I don't think are there yet, but I also don't think that they know who's coming out of their cohorts right now and the type the type of moves that we're trying to make and how we're utilizing social media in a way to help connect us all more and help get our profession out there because even with the social hour I get dms from people that are not social workers and they're like oh I learned so much and I was like yes that's great because we are here and we can do so many different things and we're not just people that work in cps and remove children from homes like that's it's not, it's not all that we do. Like our skills are so transferable. And I know so many people, like if you're on like Reddit posts or Facebook uh, posts, they'll be like, I did social worker, for, social work for my BSW, but then I moved into engineering and so many of my, my people skills help me so much like translate. So it's really cool. Like even if the profession to have a deep dive into it is not great. I think one thing that I'm thankful for is that it really teaches you how to communicate with people. And I think this world could really use that a lot. And with kids from small ages, that's why the social and emotional learning, the communicating, the problem solving, pushing things like that at you know, lower levels. So when kids get older, like we can have a better, more valuable, more a nicer conversation surrounding things instead of everybody just screaming at each other. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I'm really excited to see the changes that we bring. I don't think that the universities and the big organizations really understand the power that we have, the power of the masses. And I'm really excited because I'm totally okay with being underestimated, right? <laughs> like, I don't have to convince anybody that that my voice matters right and about this today is that there's like a hierarchy of of like oh you're worthy or you're better because you have a license or you know whatever it is um but that seems to exist in the therapy world where it's like oh well you're certified um and if you're not certified then i don't even know why you're at this table but just knowing that you're never going to be fully ready to be at that table until you get yourself at that table. Right. So just to keep advocating for yourself. And I hope like, I hope, you know, if you're listening right now, just know, like, keep going, like whatever it is, keep going because that dream, that, that vision that you have, it matters and that's yours and no one else has to agree with it, but just keep going. And that's the, I think, kind of the exciting part of it, because I know even with like the licensure thing, once you realize what it takes to get licensed, you're like, I don't understand why this means anything more, because it's just a test and then some supervision. Like I, when I found, like was looking more into it, I was like, wow, um, I don't understand why we have to have these to be valid or better or get paid more, but okay, I guess it's a hoop that I have to jump through, right? And then at different states, you can get licensed at different levels, which is interesting. In Florida, you only can get your LCSW, that's it. There's not, not like an LMSW, there's not like an intern license, none of that. So in different states, I think it's cool to see when they give you licensure at, at like BSW levels. But then I'm kind of like, well, 
now that person has to graduate, get licensed, and then if they want to go for a master's, graduate, get licensed. So it's just really hoops that we have to jump through. It doesn't really mean that you're any better or worse than anybody else. And that's one thing my one of my professors told me. They were like, don't let other people in the field intimidate you because you just graduated. They were like, they you could know or do things just as good as they do because you're, you know, you're fresh, like you have this new perspective. Like we're also being taught a little bit differently and we're we're learning how to make sure that our clients are actually at the front and we're recognizing you know racism we're recognizing prejudice and misogyny like all those things that i think in our classes they were still ignored even though social work is progressive they, it wasn't as progressive as they like to pretend that they were so really just coming out with a new a new wave and a new energy to make change and actually identify problems and how we can just work to work together and, and, and provide solutions. So I think, yeah, don't let, don't let somebody tell you that you're not ready to be at that table because everybody, we need it. We need people. We need connection. We need others to move forward. That's the great thing about being human, but a lot of people see it as a, a downfall, which is not fun. Yeah, I agree. And if there's no one that looks like you at that table, that means you need to be there even more. Yeah. So Awesome. Thank you, Kristen. Was there any other questions that we didn't cover today? No, no. Did you, I, well, I guess one more question would be, what are some ways, because I know burnout, you talked about burnout a lot. What are, what's your biggest advice, I think, for that? Because I know we talked about self-advocacy, um, making sure that you are not confusing work and home and putting yourself first. So it's not just self-care, you know, and also we know that system changes need to happen. But what's something, I guess, more on different levels that we can do? Yeah, so that's a good question. I've actually I've done a 90-minute uh, masterclass on this, um, 12 Ways to Manage Stress, which I might rename that into 12 Ways to Get Calm. I'm not sure. But I think the main, like, the main takeaway is just to be aware of yourself. So mindfulness, right? Just be aware of how you're feeling. Acknowledge, like, okay, this is how I'm feeling. And these... This is the way that I'm going to get myself out of it. And this is the way I'm going to cope with it. Um, and then find like really strong coping techniques, things that actually reduce your stress um, to, to deal with those. So, because we're in a marathon, right? This is not a sprint. We're in a marathon. There are people, there are always going to be people who need your help. So that work can wait. Chances are it can wait till Monday, right? So just put the phone down. <laughs> It can wait till Monday um, and just know that like, you're not going to save the world today. Right. Maybe, maybe like progressively, but you need to have those boundaries in place. And a lot of employers will ask you about that too. How do you self-care? How do you keep those boundaries in place? Because they want to know that you're going to be there for a long time too. So that would be like the main thing is just to be aware of how you're feeling, acknowledge it. And, and then, you know, if you need to do something about it, do something or be still, like, don't do anything that could be doing something too. <laughs> I agree with that. I agree with that one. All right. Well, thank you so much, Catherine. I know we're talking about all this self-care and you need to go do that with your family on your little trip. So have so much fun, relax. 
Well, I'm excited that I was able to talk with you. I was like, I'm not missing this meeting with Kristen. <laughs> I know it's been crazy. Like we, so many other people and I have had to reschedule things because it's, it's like this time, it's this April and May where people are like coming off for projects, but then getting put on new ones right away. So, but I'm so thankful that you came on and, and, and kept the appointment. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'll see you around. All right. Bye. Bye.